Would you like to apply to Tulane Medical, but are you concerned about its stratospheric application volume? Don't worry. Its Director of Admissions is our guest today, and he's going to tell you what it takes to get in. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 469th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Now, calculating your GPA for medical school can be difficult. You got the science GPA, the overall GPA. It's particularly difficult if you're applying via MCAS, ACOMAS, and or TMDSAS. However, Accepted has you covered. Our free tool can really help you. It's brand new and it's a free GPA calculator and you can download the template to your computer or laptop and use it as you wish. You simply enter your classes and credits to calculate your GPA and science GPA. If you're a couple of years away from applying, you can download the GPA calculator spreadsheet enter your classes and assess the impact of your grades as you earn them, or you can calculate the impact of different anticipated grades, like what's gonna happen if you get a 4.0 next semester. Just download the spreadsheet template at accept.com slash medgpa and can use and update it as needed. It's for you, plus it's free. Again, download it today from accept.com slash medgpa. Our special guest today is Mike Woodson, Director of Admissions at Tulane University School of Medicine. Mike earned his BA at Alon University and an MS in Sport Management from Virginia Commonwealth. And he is very close to earning his PhD in Higher Education Administration from Liberty University. After working for several years in high school athletics, Mike moved into the admissions world at Randolph McCon College. He then was Assistant Director of Admissions at the University of Houston and came to Tulane Medical in 2017 as Assistant Director of Admissions. In 2019, he became the Director of Admissions. Welcome, Mike, to Admission Straight Talk. Thank you, Leonard. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Now, can you give us an overview of Tulane Medical's approach to med ed, focusing on its more distinctive elements? Yeah, no problem. So every medical school, when I talk to people, every medical school has their own, I guess, feature or characteristic or mission or values or whatever. Tulane University School of Medicine really focused on, I know this is the buzzword, the holistic admissions, more of the whole body, preventative medicine and so forth. But one of the things that we're really focused on because we're in, in the heart of New Orleans here, it's really serving the underserved population. And that can look a variety of ways. Our school has 20 plus student run clinics. Uh, we have a culinary medicine center that helps our students learn, but also the community is, is, has ties with the community. Then also research that also really helps the population here in New Orleans that really focus on our underserved population. And so all that together, kind of like our tagline is we heal uh, communities, we heal people, and all that kind of uh, fits in with that. Okay, great. Now, what would you like listeners to know about Tulane Medical that many applicants don't realize, I guess maybe one of them is, is the focus on the underserved, but is there anything additional or are there any myths that you would like uh, to dispel? Oh yeah, definitely. So. It's always funny if you're kind of known for one thing, people just assume that you don't do the other thing, you know? And so, yes, we are known for our community service, our student-run clinics and so forth. And so people just assume like, oh, they must not have any research. And 
And that's, uh, that's far from the truth. As I said earlier, we do have a lot of research that really focuses on the, the populations we serve here. I mean, we have an uh, aging center, we have a cancer center, and also the Louisiana Cancer Center is right across the street from us. So our students really get opportunities in both those areas. We do have a, a primate center, primate research center. Um, really? So yes, we, yes, we do. It is uh, located, uh, when I say across the lake in New Orleans, people would know what that means. But uh, if you're not from New Orleans, there's a 23 mile bridge that goes across this big lake. Um, okay. and, um, that's where the Primate Center is located. And we have a lot of research going on there. And our students, if they want to, they can involve in that as well. And, and our latest thing that we just got a huge grant for is uh, developing a whooping cough vaccine. And so these are things that, you know, if, if people are just centering on the community service, and granted, if people think we're all about helping people and community service, so be it, you know, but we you do are. also have research and, and other things that uh, make us really well known in the community here. That's great. Okay. Thank you for that. Obviously, Tulane's in, in New Orleans. Other than the fact that you're serving the New Orleans community, which has a significant percentage of underserved in it, what else does New Orleans location mean to the student experience at Tulane Medical? Well, it's interesting because if anyone's been in New Orleans, you know it's a very culturally diverse city. It's a very, I would say, laid back city. And, and so it's one of those things where the culture of the city actually seeps into our medical school. And okay. so I like to think that our faculty, professors, and our students, we don't take ourselves too seriously here, you know? You know, and so you'll have during Mardi Gras festivals or whatever, any type of festivals in the city, you'll see faculty members and students, you know, having fun together. And so it's not one of those things where everyone's standoffish. Everyone has this perception of what a doctor is supposed to be or a medical student, what they're supposed to act and say and do. In this city, we, it, it's, it, it really gives ample opportunity for our students to, yes, go through a rigorous education, but also have fun while you're in the city and take full advantage of everything the city does have to offer. But you don't have to play jazz music if, if you're uh, you, 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 do <laughs> you do not it's not a requirement for admission it, it is not a requirement but you would be surprised how many musicians we have uh, really? in our class each year and each class has their own class band and they can take it as far as they want to if they want to just do like uh school functions it's perfectly fine but some of our class they actually perform and some of the uh, clubs and uh, music establishments here in New Orleans. So it, it's pretty cool when you go out and actually see like, oh my gosh, that's my med student right there. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it is, yeah. Or somebody uh, remembers, a, it can also probably happen that somebody was in a band like this and then ultimately they later on they see him as a, a doctor or something. Correct, uh, <laughs> correct. Uh, it, it's one of those things that I think a lot of our students relish in that fact, especially if, if they're into in, in that because it really ingrains them in the community. So it's like you're going, you're playing a gig at a community, and then maybe you're also volunteering in that same neighborhood in a clinic, or you're working, you see someone in the ward. And, and sometimes I've heard stories of, they're like, oh my gosh, I saw you uh, playing at whatever festival or whatever gig you had. And, and it's pretty cool that you get that instant rapport with the patient uh, and kind of like lessens that uh, anxiety the patient. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my mother actually had that experience where a, a friend's child whom she knew as a child grew up and became a doctor and one day she wasn't feeling well she went to the er and who walks in but this grown-up doctor and she <laughs> saw the name tag and then she recognized him and she said hi danny 
and he was looking at her and then he you know she introduced herself and, and at that point uh he did remember and recognize her but it can happen yes yes definitely all right so let's let, let's get to admissions now Tulane's secondary appears to be automatic based on my reading of your website um what are you trying to glean from the secondary that you don't get from the primary yeah so the the Everyone who applies and submits a primary, they automatically get a secondary with us. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to get, get out of the applicant is just more direct questions like why us? And so what makes us special to them? And so we really wanna focus on the aspect of not only just why us, but why New Orleans, why, why does our mission align with what you wanna get out of medical school and so forth. And so we try each year, and this year we're gonna be uh, updating it a, a little bit more, try to ask those questions to really hone in on the why tooling. And I know it's simple. Every medical school has some question like why us, you know, but really we want to make sure that doing that secondary, it's almost copy and paste proof per se. You know, you, you can't copy this, your answer for this question and put it in. No, you don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Because we really want to make sure like one, they actually know what they're getting themselves into and they've done their homework. But more importantly, they've done the self-reflection for themselves to figure out, is this what I really want for four years or maybe more? Uh, and so that's what we try to get out of our secondary. So we're asking questions about community service. We're asking questions about dealing with different populations. Uh, we're asking questions about more of why us in a school here in New Orleans and the Gulf Coast region and so forth. That makes sense. Now, what are the, some of the more common mistakes, and we've kind of touched on them, but I'd like to just be a little more explicit about it, that you see applicants make in approaching Tulane's secondary application? Obviously, if they can cut and paste <laughs> between medical schools, secondary applications, there's something wrong, but let's go a little bit beyond that. Uh, it definitely, and sometimes they copy and paste and forget to uh, take out other schools' names. So <laughs> uh, that, that is the big red flag there. But yeah, it's I pretty would obvious. Pretty obvious, um, but I would say the, the most common mistakes that people make, and when I talk to groups of students or anyone about this, I know you're, they're super smart people, they're super scientific, and sometimes they forget to turn their science style down and turn their human side up a little bit. And what I mean by that is they try to cater everything they say, thinking, all right, I know the school wants to hear this, so I'm gonna say this. I know the school wants to hear that, so I'm gonna write in that. Instead of just talking about you, talking about themselves, talking about their wants and needs. And, and, and so once you get that, and I tell everyone, it's not easy. I mean, it's not hard to stand out. Everyone's like, oh, we get you so many applications. How do you stand out? And I tell everyone, be yourself. It's only one you, you know, but so many people are trying to cookie cut their application, especially the secondary to what they think the school wants to hear. And it ends up sounding like every other application. And the ones that really stand out are the ones that are true to themselves, that maybe they uh, talk about something that maybe it's not popular to talk about with medical schools. You know, everyone thinks that in secondary, I just need to list all my stuff that's medicine related or science related. And they don't want to talk about maybe, you know, them uh, having a part time job in retail or maybe if they're an athlete in college, talk about their athletic experience, or maybe volunteering when they're in a fraternity or sorority. They use, those are the user three categories that people always seem to de-emphasize in their application and overemphasize things that really don't have any importance to them. They just, in their head, like, oh, I gotta do this in medical school, so I'm gonna talk about this 
this the 2000 hours I spent in the lab and they really didn't enjoy that experience, but they had more experience, more fun of the experience or got more out of the experience near their time volunteering in a nursing home. But they don't, they think we don't care about that. They only think about maybe the lab or maybe shadowing. And those are the things that I wish people will kind of stop overthinking and just talk about it and to be yourself. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it also more about the takeaways you get from the experience? It's not just the X hours. You can look at their activity descriptions and see the X hours. Correct. Correct. I, I talked, I was actually, uh, the other day I was just talking with someone and, and their application, I was like, the people reading, no matter what school you're looking for, the people reading your application, they know you're not the doctor when you're shadowy. It's, it's no time that you're going to put in your application. Oh, the doctor didn't come in today, so I had to perform the surgery. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so you're you right. I know and then that's another uh, problem. But it, but you know we know the typical duties of people who shadow. If you're working in the lab, if you're a scribe, we know those duties. But it's more of why did you pick that particular activity and what you got out of it. Whether it's you got out of it like oh my gosh, this is the best experience ever. This is the type of doctor I want to be, or you know what? I don't like this type of medicine. I saw some bad things. And when I become a doctor, I'm, I don't want to do it this way, which is perfectly fine. But what did you get out of that experience? And most people tend to forget that because they have their big science brains on all the time. And they just want to focus on, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Right, right. Oh, that's great input. Thank you. Now, when I was preparing for the call, I noticed that Tulane encourages the CASPER doesn't require it, it encourages it. So two questions. One, why do you encourage it? And do you intend to require it? Yeah, so it's, we do encourage it. And I, and I know when people say like, oh, if it says encourage, it's required. It's not gonna keep any application from coming incomplete. It's one of those things where it's still relatively a new test. I know it's been out for like, we've been using it for I think five years now. Uh, we've been affiliated with Casper. And it's one of those things that we're still gathering data to see how we're going to use this in the application process. And it's not one of those things where you have this test and we know in our reviewers know exactly what it means and this is how we're going to use it. We're still gathering that data. And I've had these conversations with Casper too. I mean, they always come to us, how come you didn't require it? And for the exact same thing, we're still learning how we're going to use this and we're still gathering data. Um, I know plenty of other schools require it. And that works out in our favor because if they're, you know, if they sure. to one school, they're going to submit it to us. Um, so we're just gathering data to see how we're going to use this test. Um, what does it mean? And, and once we figure that out, how can we explain that to our admissions committee so they can figure out how they're going to use it and how they're going to interpret the results? And, and usually that's the main thing. Anytime a new test comes along or a new examination, you, you have to explain it to maybe people who, one, never heard of it. And two, or so maybe sometimes old school in their thinking, they're like, well, it's not an MCAT score. So I don't know what this means. You know, so you have to make sure, one, you understand it well enough to how it's going to be used and two, to explain to others when they're using it in their assessments. Okay, thank you. What process does an application go through once Tulane says it's, it's complete? You have all, you have everything in. You got your primary, your secondary, test score, CASPER, if right. you're going to do it. <laughs> Um, what happens then? Well, then it goes to our group of screeners and every application is screened by at least two people and they'll put their, it's actually three uh, categories and go in. It can go in 
yes, you're going to be invited for an interview. Uh, no, you're not going to be invited for an interview or kind of a wait list for an interview. Like, all right, everything looks fine, but uh, you're, we're going to put you in this category that kind of a hold for a possible interview. And it goes through there. And that hold for a possible interview is actually getting reviewed through the entire process as well. Um, if someone, you know, as especially with uh, virtual interviews, as people start to cancel out at the last minute, uh, maybe a day or two before, it's easy to pull people off that hold list. And it's like, hey, and we'll call them. And it's like, hey, we have an opening. Are you available to interview for a certain day? Or if, if they submitted your new information, because we're also looking for that as well, uh, so maybe an updated grades if they're in a master's program. And then, and sometimes we'll tell people like, well, we might put you in this category. We're waiting on either another MCAT score to come in or updated grades from a graduate program. Just to like, we're, we're kind of leaning towards yes, but we want to, you know, kind of affirm it a little bit. And so uh, they'll go into that category and we'll keep reviewing them. And then we'll invite them from there. And then once the interview process is done, they're getting invited to do their interview. And once that's done, then it goes to our admissions review committee. Now we do things a little different than most schools. And it's funny because in our LCME accreditation, and this is perfectly, it was approved and everything. Uh, the, when we were going through our practice LCME, one person said, this is weird. Yeah. But it, it's funny when I talk to other admissions people like, oh, I, I kind of wish we did it that way. Uh, what we do is we don't have the old school, everyone comes in a conference room and meets and prepares files and pass it around and so forth. We are in the 21st century, you know, we're, we're, we're up to date with stuff. <laughs> and so we, we try to use electronics as much as possible. And so we send our mission reviews, well, the uh, whole entire application along with their interview reports from the interview day. I, I will backtrack, our interview day does consist of a standardized patient exercise, a faculty interview and a student interview. Uh, so those three reports get put in with their admissions file and sent electronically to a couple of review members. Each person, each applicant is reviewed by uh, three faculty people and one student. We have students on our uh, admissions review committee and those, they'll review them independently of each other. So you don't have someone in the room that likes to be the talker, you know, or the person who's not paying attention. Um, and so independently they can review and then they'll put their comments in a report and give them an admissions grade. Those four scores are averaged together and that's that person's admissions uh, review score. Um, and then from there, once and at the start of the year, uh, we wait till we get a bunch of those scores back and kind of look and see kind of where that line is for how the scores are coming in. Um, and then we'll determine a threshold of if everyone's over this certain score, then they're admitted. If they're below that, they're on our acceptance range list or wait list or depending on how the interview goes, sometimes it goes horribly, then it's no reason to put them on a wait list. We're just going to reject them. Right, right. Makes sense. It is. So just the top X are automatically admitted. Is that basically what happens based on the score? Pretty much, yes. Uh, the top, whatever that number is, depending on the year, will be admitted. All right. That, that's a very kind of logical. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a it's a roundabout way to get there, but eventually it comes out to the what most people do, most schools do, is just getting to that point. People are like y'all don't meet, y'all don't like no no we're we're good we we use computers. <laughs> well, the the other thing about it is that each person very independently is is coming to a conclusion, whereas if you have the the round table and everybody meeting, then obviously people are attempting to and are being 
attempting to influence and being influenced by others, others' perspective. Correct, and, and, I, and it helps our students because sometimes when our students are involved in our community and a bunch of committees uh, in the school, and sometimes, and rightfully, sometimes they get intimidated when you know, there's faculty members in the meetings with them, and sometimes they may not feel like their opinion or voice is heard just because of the power dynamics. Not that it's, it plays out that way, but it's just sometimes they feel that way. But at least with our admissions committee, they don't have the influence of having the faculty member who they might be on their rotation right next to them <laughs> and, and having different opinions about a student. They can just talk about the student, how they want to talk about them, and not worry about that influence. Okay. Are you planning for in-person or remote interviews going forward? We're going to be a remote, uh, virtual, and hopefully that will be the thing of the future. Once again, use these, okay. uh, these uh, use, uh, use, computers, right? <laughs> use computers, you know, it, it's here for us. The one thing we learned, it, it's funny, selfishly, when we first started, when we decided to do this past year, instead of planning to go back in person, we were able to get more faculty interviewers in the process. And some people who've never thought about participating because like, well, I don't have to, I don't want to walk all the way to your office and then I have to find a room or have them walk over to my office, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, and so we're able to get more faculty interviewers, but we have heard from a lot of our people who've interviewed because we survey everyone at the end of the day. And they've all said they like the experience because they're not spending money to fly all over the country to places that they don't have to take time, a lot of time off from work or school or volunteering and so forth. Uh, and, and, and that really helps because it makes the whole process a little more equitable when uh, someone who's really bright and smart and gets invited to all these interviews, they're not picking and choosing based on location and dollars they have to actually go to these places. I've heard from so many students uh, pre-pandemic that they were basing their interview choices off of who they, where they can drive. And I, and I know, and I know a couple of years ago, we had someone who left at like four in the morning to get, you know, you know, to a place to interview. And that's, and that's just nuts because they're not going to have their best interview day because one, they're tired. And two, it, it's just, they're, it, it's not, it's not equitable when someone can have the means to fly 15 places and interview um, and stay in hotels and take, you know, maybe they don't have a job, so they don't have to worry about the money aspect. Whereas yeah. someone who could be a great person, great physician, and great medical student may be denied that opportunity just because they can only afford to go to two places and it's the only place they can drive to and so forth. So I think it makes the whole process a little more equitable as well. Right. It's interesting. You know, obviously, I, I interview other medical school admissions directors and they all, every single one, I, I can't think of one that hasn't acknowledged the whole accessibility benefit of, of remote interviews. Some are staying remote. Some are saying, you know, I, we really miss that in-person aspect. So um, anyway, it's, it's obviously something in flux. I think uh, medical schools, much like you have your own uh, way of assessing the applications, they're all going to come up with their own, their own ways of dealing with interviews, accessibility, and, and the in-person versus remote aspect of things. Yeah, I've heard from a couple other schools and at least the following next year, they're going to go remote and they're going to assess it after that. But I've also heard from people like, oh, they miss, you know, have the students yeah. come there and a the connection with the students. And, and I, I totally get that as well. I mean, granted, 
everyone, we're in New Orleans. Everyone wants to spend, you know, a day or so in New Orleans if they had to. Like, oh, darn, I have to go to the medical center school interview in New Orleans. The, oh, woe is me. Uh, but <laughs> we're, hopefully we can Especially plan. Especially in Mardi Gras, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so hopefully we can, we'll, we'll be planning some more uh, second look days. Uh, I hate the word second look day. I, I try to, I'm trying to think of a different word to call it, a different name. But, you know, we're going to plan more of those in the future and also some opportunities for people to come see our school. But it's, it's just for the interview day. It's, it's one of those things that it's not required to come to our, uh, our, to visit our school if you're interested in our school. Right. Okay. Now a word from accepted sponsor. There is enough to worry about when applying to medical school. Don't stress about how to request and submit your confidential letters of recommendation. Sign up for Interfolio for an easy way to gather and save your important academic materials for applications. Simply visit interfolio.com backslash accepted and use the code ACCEPTED22 for 10% off. That's interfolio.com backslash ACCEPTED for 10% off. And now back to the show. Can you touch on Tulane's policy regarding updates? Both, let's say you mentioned that you, know, you have this wait list or this mm-hmm. wait list. What if you haven't heard back from Tulane and you have something that you think is valuable for Tulane to know? or you're on the wait list, or you've been interviewed and you're not yet heard. I mean, there's all kinds of permutations, but how, how does Tulane feel about that? Do you encourage updates? Oh yes, we definitely, we definitely encourage updates. Okay. We give them a option on their application portal so they can submit it directly to their portal. Um, so they don't have to worry about emailing us all the time. And did you get it? Did you get it? Just, they can just upload it directly to their portal. And, and I know just because I know our process, because everyone gets a secondary. We don't have cutoffs for anything. So we do truly look at every single application. Our process is longer by nature because of that, you know? And so there are going to be a lots of times where they're not going to hear anything from us. And I know they're anxious and they, you know, and if it makes them feel better, they can submit 50 updates if they want to, you know, uh, we're going to look at them. We, we totally encourage it because we know that, you know, when, when you submit your application, there's going to be a time that's a, a lengthy period where you know you're doing something, but uh, we're going to make it, and you want us to know about it, so go ahead and submit it. It's not a problem at all, or extra letters, or whatever the case may be. Right. Okay, great. Thank you for the answer. Now, how do you, you know, it's great if you've gone through school, and everything's been fantastic, and you have good grades, and you have a good test score, and you've done the, you know, community service, clinical, and all that stuff. Everything's good, but not everybody has that kind of record. Sometimes there's uh, missteps along the way or just difficulties along the way. So how do you, and these are two different categories, but how do you look at candidates who have faced mental health issues? Maybe their grades dipped because of depression or they had to stop school for a short period. Well, that, that is part of our holistic review process. When we're looking at an applicant, that's actually one of the main reasons why we don't have really cutoffs for anything. Just because we, we understand that there's going to be dips in someone's uh, academic career, but whatever may happen, just maybe getting accustomed to college, uh, whether it's going far away from home, your first time away from home, some things can, you know, life happens, you know, and so you're starting off your academic career great, then life happens in the middle, and then that dip happens, and then you're you're playing, you're digging yourself out of a hole the whole time. We un- we understand that. 
And so that's, that's why we really take that holistic process very seriously and understand that it's not gonna, always going to be rainbows and bunnies and everything. You know? And so you're going to make sure that we're doing our due diligence and really trying to understand the applicant where they're at and understand the application in this context. You know, is a 3-3 or a 3-4 or a 3-0, oh, you know, sometimes there are reasons for that. And sometimes it's not just I was partying goofing off the whole time. Sometimes there's something that, that's a legitimate reason of why their, their grade point average is this way or why maybe certain grades of certain classes are this way. And we understand that. And we want to make sure we're looking at that in context with everything else in the application. Right. I would assume also that perhaps distance between the dip and the application to medical school might be a factor. And it, it is. That, that you have the situation under control. It is. We want to make sure that, you know, whatever the situation right. is, that we, we don't want to set them up for failure for our school as well. And so we want to make sure that whatever mechanisms they have to either recover from that issue or dealt with that issue, and we want to make sure that there, there's time in place for them to, to really show that, all right, this person is on the right track now. Whatever has happened, they figured it out or they've got it under control or whatever the case may be. That we just want to make sure that and it truly worked out for them. So as I said before, we don't want, you know, whatever issues to carry over to uh, medical school. And, and that happens if someone says a 4.0 and a 520. You know, you, you right. try for those right. as well and they come to medical school and sometimes it may not work out. We don't want to set people up for failure. No, of course not. How, how this is a different, but it also is, I think, a big concern for certain applicants. How do you look at applicants who have, let's say, an academic infraction or a misdemeanor on their record? Yeah, well, it, it, anything with, app, with education, it depends. You know, I've learned that in admissions world so many times. Oh, yeah. it, it, <laughs> it depends. And I'll, I'll first start with the misdemeanor. It, it just depends on what it is. We know sometimes people go to college and do stupid things. Right. Everybody got, was once young and stupid. <laughs> right. And so, and, and I know that, you know, it, it would be so much easier and like, uh, you know, to check off people like, oh, this infraction, nope, nope, nope. I mean, that would make our jobs easier, honestly, you know, because then we don't have to review. We can, uh, we can take a couple thousand probably out of our, out of our uh, pool. But, you know, we look at it and it all depends. We want to make sure it's not too serious per se. Everyone probably, I, I don't know, I've, I've read applications plenty of times that alcohol infractions or, or speeding tickets, depending on what state you're at, you're in, you know, the, over the miles per hour, that sometimes is a misdemeanor, you know, uh, so for the reckless driving. And so we, we look at that and take that all in context as well. But also we want to make sure the person actually learns something from that experience and not just a better way to not get caught, you know, but actually learn something from that experience and maybe not put themselves in that situation. Uh, academic situations are a little different with us just because sometimes that shows maybe a little bit of judgment concerns that maybe doesn't really deal with maturity per se, uh, but maybe a little bit about their character. But like I said, everything's different in context. Once, what did you learn from it? Is it a repeated pattern? of academic integrity? Is it a one and done? You know, because most of these schools, you know, if you get caught, you either fail the class or you maybe you suspended, whatever the case may be. And so those are pretty harsh infractions. And so hopefully they've learned something from that incident. But we really want to look at it in a context and make sure. But almost we take that academic integrity a little more serious than 
the underage drinking stuff, uh, just because when you're going higher up in, in the academic world, in medical school, it, it doesn't get easier as far as your academic work. And you're going to be trying to take shortcuts in that instance. And when you're taking shortcuts with possibly someone's health, that's very serious. Right, right. Yeah. Good point. Makes sense. Let's look at step back in the process a little bit. How was the application volume this year, the 2021-22 cycle? How does it compare to the 2021 cycle, last year's cycle? Gotcha. Luckily, and I'm crossing my fingers right now, it's dipped a little bit. And I know a lot of schools are worried, like, oh my gosh, you know, application polls dipped. And I'm like, thank you. You know, just because <laughs> uh, this this past year, this I should say this application cycle, we got almost 16,000 total applications. Wow. And so that is down from 17,000 applications. Uh, so uh, during the first COVID years, when we got 17,000 applications, that is a record application haul for us. And so, yes, we are down a little bit, but this past year is our second most <laughs> ever. Yeah. So uh, pre-COVID, we were averaging about maybe 11 to 12,000 applications. Whoa, that's an incredible yeah. increase. It, it is. So uh, a 50% so, increase in one year. It, it was, it was a lot and we expected more, but we didn't expect that much more. And so it, it's a lot, it was a lot, but we're dealing with it. And it makes everything a little, the process a little bit longer to review applications and get decisions down. And hopefully people understood uh, when they were waiting, uh, but it was a lot, it was a lot. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But you, you handle it. And how many spots are we talking about? Uh, each year, we matriculate 190 applicants. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> those yes. numbers are unbelievable. <laughs> Every uh, time I say those numbers, I have to repeat them in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's a I lot. I really did live through that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, and somehow, and somehow I'm still standing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. How should an applicant who wasn't one of the lucky 190 approach reapplication to medical school, especially to Tulane? Yes. And, and so that's the number one question we get all the time, especially around. Imagine where those numbers are. <laughs> yeah. So time of year when uh, everyone's starting to matriculate and put their deposits and they're still waiting on the yeah. wait list or. Yeah or, or some places still up for an invite for an interview. I always tell people to one, and it, once again, it sounds very simplistic, but take a step back and look at yourself, not your application, um, but look at yourself. One, what is your true motivation for medicine? And once you figure out your motivation, motivation for medicine, your why of medicine, and, and mainly why physician, and then now take a look at your application and see that was it conveyed in that. And, and I tell people, you've really got to, as I said earlier, turn down the scientific thought process and turn up the humanistic process and, and figure out if your passion for medicine and, and your passion for medicine is not just doing a bunch of stuff, but truly, what did you get out of these experiences? Why did you pick these certain experiences? Is your wants and needs and values aligned with what the medical school can offer? Uh, and, and if those questions are answered, and then look at your application and see if, if, that, if it conveys that. And sometimes when I talk to students, I was like, does it convey that? They're looking at it like, no, it does not. Uh, my, my application is a, my, one of my personal statements, a narrative of my application. Uh, two, it just lists a bunch of things that I've done and it doesn't say why it did them or what I got out of them. 
Well, the impact that you had on others. Correct. And just everyone's so focused on like what I did. You know, I was in a lab and I created cells, or I shadowed a doctor, or I followed a scrap, whatever. I, I watched a surgery. All that's great to all right, you kind of get a glimpse of what you want to do, but it doesn't tell me what you got out of it. Uh, it doesn't tell what impact it had on you and on you, like, or the person or whoever you're, you're with. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be the patient. What about, you know, your other healthcare colleagues, your nurses, your techs, all that stuff, you know, what impact do you have on them as well? And so usually I tell people, take that step back, do that self-reflection and kind of figure out that why. And, and once you figure it out that and make sure it aligns to what we want uh, or what, you know, you think we want, um, but not truly like try to make your application to what you think we want. You know, you have to be honest with yourself and figure out like, hey, this is a place I can genuinely be happy in New Orleans. And this is a place, a school that's going to give me what I want out of a medical school education. And sometimes people kid themselves. They try to trick themselves. Like, oh, no, no, I, I like your school. You know, and then uh, I can, I know, for example, a couple of years ago when we had in-person interviews, it was around Mardi Gras time. So during the interview day, we gave everyone beads to wear, you know, and no one wanted to wear the beads. I'm like, well, you're not going to make it in the city. You just can't wear plastic beads you know, <laughs> for, for a couple hours, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I know that's an extreme example, but that's, it's just certain things you have to get used to. If you hate cold weather, why are you applying to schools in the Northeast? <laughs> exactly. If you hate humidity, if you hate humidity, why are you applying to schools in the South? Yeah. It's going to be yeah. humid, you know, eight out of the 12 months. So uh, it's one of those things where you truly got to figure out where you're going to be happy at. And I know people think, well, I can be in the classroom the whole time. It's Sometimes the lessons you learn in medical school and in school in general happen outside the classroom. And those are the things that you really have to be honest with yourself and think about. Great answer. Thank you so much. Now I have a couple of questions from podcast listeners. And this again is from a listener. If you were a pre-med student, traditional or otherwise, what is the one thing you would be doing to prepare yourself for medical school? Oh, that is a great question. Yeah, I thought it was a great question too. So listener, yeah. if you're on, we're, we're both admiring. Yes, that is such a good question. And I would say the one thing you should do to prepare yourself, and, and it's going to sound so counterproductive, but stop listening to the outside noise and follow your own passion. Uh, and, and, and it sounds very abstract, but I think that will help uh, people make better decisions about what they do and, and the paths they take. Uh, so many times, usually if you're applying to medical school, if you're thinking about medical school, you're with a group of friends or cohorts that they're all, you go on the same path together and everyone's path is different, but you figure like, oh, well, if they're doing this activity, whatever it is, that means I should be doing this activity. And so, so many times they're doing something not because they want to do it. They feel like they have to do it. Yeah. And I tell, this I tell this to people all the time, when you do something because you feel like you have to do it rather than you want to do it, it's no way you're going to be able to explain that activity or get something out of it. And especially if you're interviewing, it comes up, it's going to naturally come across like you're not really that excited about whatever we're talking about versus something that you really, really passionate about and really, you know, that, that's when it comes out, whether you're writing an application or in an interview uh, with someone. And so just follow 
your natural instincts. Yes, you have to get guidance. There's no one's questioning that, but don't feel like you have to do an activity just because everyone else is doing it. Really truly think about why you want to do it and what you want to get out of it. And if it's something that you really truly want to do, you're truly interested in, go for it. But there's so many different paths to medicine and a medical school. You don't have to follow the same path that everyone else is following. That's really interesting. It's not so much it's it's counterintuitive. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that if someone were to say, you know, I, I really don't want to work in a, in a clinic before medical school, that would be a sign that, frankly, they're pursuing the wrong path. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Okay. You know, like, why do you want to go? Why do you think you're going to want to do it later? Right. <laughs> Could you give an example of something that people do because they feel they have to? I mean, would shadowing fall into that category? Yes, I would say shadowing, and, and I'm not like putting down shadowing or mm-hmm. putting down scribing or so forth, but sometimes people think like you have to do that. Yeah, especially so, shadowing. Yeah, and, and that's the only, you know, medical clinical experience you can get that, that counts. And I would argue that there's so many other things you can do that to get that clinical experience. You can be EMT, uh, you can, uh, so many people neglect if, and I'm, I'm it's sad that they're in a situation, but sometimes they have to be the sole caretaker of an elderly relative. Right. Sometimes you learn so much more about medicine doing that than looking over someone's shoulders. Uh, And so, you know, some people, you know, don't think of that. So people don't realize like, oh, just volunteer in a hospital. Sometimes you get a greater sense of what goes on in in a clinical setting by volunteering in various roles rather than maybe just scribing. And like, once again, I'm not saying scribing or shadowing is bad, but Sometimes it's this narrative that that's the only thing to get clinical experience, or I've done all this other stuff, and now I have to shadow and scribe because everyone else is shadow and scribe. And I I usually tell people like, Philip, you were an EMT for for five years. I I think you're good with that clinical experience. You don't need to shadow now. Right, right. right. Yeah, that would be checking the box. You're right. Correct. And here's a second question from, from a listener, and this is completely different. What are you doing? What or what is Tulane doing to prepare its students for the major shift that technology will eventually impose on the healthcare field? Now I know you use computers in, in admissions because <laughs> we've discussed it a lot. Yes. But um, you know, are you using, I don't know, virtual imaging as opposed to cadavers or what are you doing? It's interesting because there is this great shift to using more electronics, but then also you don't want to lose a lot of the hands-on experience uh, that has been used uh, in years and years and years of medical school education. And so no, we, as a school, we're still doing cadavers. We still have cadavers in our mental education. And, and it's funny because sometimes, and these are the stories I hear because a lot of our students have friends at other schools and so forth. And sometimes, you know, the, the first time when you like have to put a hand on the body, you, you want to make sure it's not your third year clinical rotation. You know? uh, and, and so many times, you know, maybe that first year anatomy lab with a, a, a cadaver there, uh, that kind of breaks that ice a little bit. In a certain sense, we've, keeping, we, we've kept some old school ways, but we also understand where the, the advantages technology gives us. And so we are starting to implement a lot of that within our, our education here. Sometimes our SBA counters, we know telehealth is the uh, big right. thing. And so we're starting to have our students practice that more now um, through our SB encounters over the Zoom, you know, the platform or whatever uh, 
bit video platform. Right, right. Just so you get that experience of sometimes you're not going to be in, in person talking with a patient. It might be sometime over a uh, computer or phone or something like that. And you're, you're conversing with a patient. So we want to make sure that they kind of have that experience as well. But then we also have some uh, technologies that uh, help our students prepare for whatever career they want in medicine before they actually, I want to say, harm someone. So, uh, you know, uh, simulation labs with so simulation surgery, simulation births and so forth, sure. uh, all these tests, uh, all these exams that can perform on robotics, honestly, without actually hurting someone. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if these two questions were from the same listener, because one is a very kind of humanistic, if you will, question, the first mm -hmm. one. And the second one was the science brain, as you were talking about. Of earlier, course. <laughs> you know, um, and I was also just thinking about my own experience with telemedicine or going to see the doctor, in, you know, especially in the last couple of years since COVID and the convenience, much like with the interviews, the accessibility of the telemedicine is delightful, but something is lost. Correct. Yes, it is. It, it's you do Something miss still lost. human interaction. Um, and even if you're saying and doing the exact same thing over the computer in person, it's just different in person. Right, right. Anyways, all right, we're going to bring this to a close. And I just want to ask you if there's something you would have liked me to ask you that I haven't asked you, something you want listeners to know. Oh, wow, that, that is good. I, and I don't know, I think I've tried to cover everything. I, I just you've done want, a great job. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I, mean, I would say you did, a, you did a great job. <laughs> I always tell people a great interview is only as good as the host. So you've done a great job. Well, thank there. you. Thank you very <laughs> much. Um, I just want people to know if they're thinking about Tulane uh, University School of Medicine, that uh, we, we really want people to understand that being a doctor is not necessarily being the smartest person in the room or the, the the best gunner in the room per se. But we really want people who have a humanistic approach to medicine, who, I mean, we have a community service requirement with our medical students. So that's why we kind of emphasize community service and application. We want to make sure that people have this view of medicine that is, you're not curing a disease per se. You're not curing a person, but medicine is a partnership between the patient, a community, and the medical community. And so that's what we, we're trying to emphasize here at Tulane University School of Medicine. All right. Well, thank you very much. Mike, I think we're almost out of time. This has been an absolute pleasure. I've uh, really learned a lot. And I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Where can listeners learn more about Tulane University School of Medicine? Well, well the best place is our website. <laughs> and so I tell people to go to uh, medicine.tulane.edu. Um, that has everything, every aspect about uh, Tulane, as far as the medical school and the, our research and so forth. But if you want to know more about the admissions process, there's an admissions tab right at the top of that page that you can click on and learn anything and everything you want about the admissions process. Our students are really trying to beef up our uh, student experience page. We're going to have more in-person interviews or video interviews. So you can get that true experience of how it feels like to be a student here, not only in uh, our medical school, but a student here in New Orleans. Great. Thank you. We're going to include links in the show notes at exhibit.com slash 469 
to Tulane University School of Medicine, as well as to other resources that may be helpful to you listeners. Listener, thank you too for joining us for our 469th episode. If you find the show worthwhile, please subscribe. Make sure you don't miss any future shows, be they with deans, admissions directors, professors, current students, test prep pros, or alumni doing great things. Quick reminder, don't miss the accepted Med GPA calculator. Calculate your undergrad and science GPAs using this free tool. You can download it today at accepted.com slash medgpa. Again, that's accepted.com slash medgpa. This is Admission Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.